This is Bridging the Gap with Tariq Alameen, and I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. I'll start first by saying thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, consider subscribing and sharing. Now, if you want to turn this into a two-way conversation, feel free to leave a comment here or on our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can like and also follow us at BTG with TIE. You can also email your comments to my two cents at webridgethegap.org. That's my the number two cents at webridgethegap.org. Please include the episode title in your comments. Now, today we're talking about work ethic, attitude, and success. Now, fashion changes, slang changes, hairstyles change, the length and thickness of what is deemed attractive in eyelashes has most certainly changed. But what has not changed, at least for people who have attained any level of success or study success, is understanding the importance of purposeful and consistent work. You know, because things have become progressively easier for us, and that's due to innovations in the marketplace that uh, we can point to like Amazon Prime, Uber Eats, DoorDash, TaskRabbit. 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, people may actually marvel at the idea of ever having had to leave the house and physically go to a store to buy anything. And thinking of how we today, how we look back at those who've come before us, our parents and our grandparents' generations, I think most of us see them as being stronger than we are today. And that might simply be because life demanded that they had to be stronger. You know, if they were going to make it, they had to be strong. Now, these generations, these generations had to sacrifice and they had to work hard. They were dealing with open hostility, especially black people in this generation. And their success, whether big or small, it was looked at as a threat. So whatever they got, they let you as a child, as a grandchild, they let you know that they worked for it. And they expected you to also work for whatever you got. Now, it's kind of funny, but on that note, an old routine from Bill Cosby comes to mind. My father walked to school. Four o'clock every morning with no shoes on, uphill, both ways, and five feet of snow. And he was thankful. I asked my father to give me a dollar for the school picnic. He told me how he killed a grizzly bear with his loose leaf notebook. Now, there's a sense of wonder (laughs) and admiration and, yes, certainly a bit of disbelief, as he recalls his father's two-way uphill tracks to school in the snow with no shoes. Now, even though it's a funny story, right, but what's at the core of this is undeniable drive. And I think that drive, it really exemplifies that spirit of that past generation. It's the kind of stuff that kids 20, 30 years from now as I was saying, they'll look back to today and say, no, I couldn't do that. I mean, let alone looking back to some of the things that our parents and our grandparents had to go through. Also, from the book of I Can't Do That, is the story of John Henry. Y'all remember who John Henry was, right? For those of you who don't know, 
Uh, he was a man whose job, he's, he's, he's a bit of a, a folk tale, folk legend, right? But his job was to drive a steel drill into a rock so that explosives could be placed and the rock blown to bits to make room for new railroad tracks. So as the story goes, one day a salesman came to camp boasting about how this steam-powered drill he had could outdrill any man, at which point John Henry took up the challenge and set out to race man against machine. And when the race was over, John Henry is said to have drilled 14 feet to the machine's nine. So John Henry won. Now, what the, I guess the downside of this is that John Henry died a short while after. Some say from a stroke, others from exhaustion, but either way, it's a great story. It's a powerful story. It illustrates the, uh, the power and the weight of sheer determination and a commitment to achieve. So I'm going to ask you, because I'm asking myself at the same time, what thing do I have that level of commitment about? I would say many of us right now, we are still processing the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant and the helicopter crash that claimed his life, his 13-year-old daughters, and seven other passengers. So before I say anything else about that, I've just got to say that our prayers and condolences go out to the families of all those who are trying to navigate their way through this horrific loss. Now, um... When I talk about Kobe, as a matter of fact, when anyone talks about Kobe Bryant and his legacy, no statement would be complete without mentioning his legendary drive. Your job is to try to be the best basketball player you can be. To do that, you have to practice, you have to train. You want to train as much as you can, as often as you can. So if you get up at 10 in the morning, train at 11, say 12, train at 12, train for two hours, 12 to 2, you have to let your body recover. So you eat, recover, whatever get back out, you train, start training again at 6, train from 6 to 8, and now you go home, you shower, you eat dinner, you go to bed, those are two sessions, and now imagine you wake up at 3, you train at 4, you go 4 to 6, come home, breakfast, relax, now you're back at it again, 9 to 11, right, relax, and now all of a sudden you're back at it again, 2 to 4, and now you're back at it again, 7 to 9. Look how much more training I have done by simply starting at four, right? So now you do that, and as the years go on, the separation that you have with your competitors and your peers just grows larger and larger and larger and larger and larger. By year five or six, doesn't matter how, what kind of work they do in the summer, they're never going to catch up because you're five years behind. <laughs> You'll never catch up. You'll never catch up. Let that sink in. No matter what you do, no matter how much you practice, no matter how much you hit it in the summer, on the weekends, you'll never catch up. Time has gotten away from you. While they were looking at their skills and saying, I'm good. I've made it to the league. I've got a contract. I work out when the team tells me to work out. I'm not going to invest my money into a personal trainer. I'm not going to do anything more than what is required of me. That person got left. They got left. So when I'm thinking about mastering a skill, honing a craft, 
the one who engages in consistent work over time, even if they don't have the same natural ability in an area, they are going to outpace somebody who has talent but no work ethic every time. Now, obviously, Kobe had talent. He was 6'6", had a basketball body, but go to any high school gym, go to Chicago, New York, Detroit, L.A., you are going to find somebody in there that fits that bill. Does that mean they're going to be the next great player? Are they guaranteed to make it to the NBA? Heck, are they guaranteed to, to play D1 ball? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, in his book, Outliers, journalist and writer Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000-hour rule, which he considers to be the key to success in any field. And it basically boils down to simply being a matter of practicing a specific task that can be accomplished with 20 hours of work a week for 10 years. 10 years. I'll say it again, 10 years. Now, that might seem like a long time, but that's until you can look back 30 years or 40 years or more. And then 10, 10 doesn't seem like much time at all. How do you benefit from that perspective before you have all those years under your belt? That's the question. Right? It's it goes back to that old saying that youth is wasted on the young, right? Because you get older, you get some years and then you realize what you should have been doing as a young person. Right. But it all comes back to attitude. It's a matter of attitude, plain and simple. It's accepting the fact that time is going to pass, whether you improve or stay the same. And either way, you're going to know it. You'll know if you have something to show for that time. Attitude and altitude, they're related. Attitude and altitude. Since we're in plain talk, here's an innocuous fact. A fully loaded 747. A fully loaded 747 airplane has to get up to 184 miles per hour before it can take off. It can't stop midway. It can't do 160 miles an hour or 150 miles an hour. The criteria for a successful takeoff are clear. They're non-negotiable. You make that, you make that speed or you stay on the runway. Having an attitude of I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Even if it's walking uphill to school both ways in the snow with no shoes on. But what happens when you don't have the attitude? What happens when you have all the talent, but you don't have the attitude? There are people, I mean, I always think of, you're a basketball fan, I always think of Derek Coleman. Yes. I remember chatting with a guy who worked for the Sixers, and he said, you have to understand that Derek Coleman was the most gifted man ever to set foot on a basketball court. He said, I, you, I, you know, you've heard a million other names. Nobody was as good as Derek. And, like, who has heard today? Who thinks, who puts Derek Coleman up there in the Pantheon? No one. He didn't want to work. He had bad habits. He had a bad attitude. I mean, so what? Give me somebody who wants to go to practice in the morning and who wants to try in games, and I want to celebrate him. Now, I remember Derek Coleman. But I had never heard 
that particular story. I'd never heard anybody talk about him like that. And, and Derek was nice. But to know that he could have been possibly one of the greats, he could have been in the conversation of a, of a top three, top five player in the history of the game. And the only thing that got in the way of that was an attitude. The only thing that got in the way of that was a, a commitment to work. You feel like it's a loss, right? Even as a fan who appreciated his game, you think there was more, there, there was more beneath uh, the surface. We got cheated. Well, I'm not going to go there. But I'm going to ask you again, as I ask myself, to think about the things we feel we're good at and to think about the things we feel like we have expertise in. What are the things we would consider ourselves to be experts in? What are those things? And are there things that you've been doing for a while, for years, that you just haven't gotten good at? All right, that's a different conversation. Because all activity is not the same. All activity is not the same. But I'm going to illustrate with myself. So I bought an acoustic guitar about 15 years ago. Uh, it came with a teach yourself to play booklet and a video. And I had all the picks and I would tune it. Um, I would play when I got home from work. I would do half hour to an hour, four to five times a week. I was progressing nicely until I got to chords. Chords require dexterity, a bit more than I seem to have at that time in my fingers. And that was my obstacle. And I, I gave it a shot, but I didn't have that dogged commitment that I'm going to do this or or else. I didn't have that at that point. So I let that obstacle stop me, much to my uh, disappointment. But that's the space I was in at that time. One of the examples that Malcolm Gladwell based his idea of 10,000 hours on was the Beatles. And they are regarded widely as the most influential band of all time. Let's take a listen to what he has to say. So if I wanted to talk about this question of does such a thing as a prodigy exist, who would I talk about? I'd talk about the Beatles and Mozart, the cliches. And when you look at the story of the Beatles, of course, what you find is this, um, this, this little hidden fact that before they come to America and take the world by storm in 1964, they spend this incredibly long period of time as a house band in a strip club in Hamburg, in Germany, playing eight-hour sets seven days a week for months at a stretch. Right. And it is that period of apprenticeship that um, many Beatles experts, and I love the fact that there's a, such a thing called a Beatles expert. Oh, there's um, colleges that study the Beatles. There's a separate kind of... Um, I'm sure at like, you know, Duke University, there's a, there's a yeah. department of Beatles oh, studies. Oh, no doubt. Um, <laughs> That, that now, there's a Pete Best department. I, yeah, no. <laughs> well, that would be at the University of, of Liverpool, yeah. that they would be a Pete. But um, uh, they would tell you that, look, you know, before they went to Hamburg, they were just not a good band. And it was as a result of being forced to play in this extraordinary environment that they mastered what it took to be the greatest rock band of all time. 
Um, and so it's in, you know, you can't tell the story of the British invasion of 1964 without telling the story of the Hamburg invasion of 1959, right? right? And it is something, it tells something very valuable about the distorted way that we think about success, that we constantly talk about 64, but we don't talk about 59. Now, while the other bands might have been playing on the weekends for a couple of hours on a Saturday night, these guys were doing eight-hour sets a day. This doesn't just speak to individual success. This is about teamwork. I should say it doesn't speak to just to individual commitment. This is a team commitment, which is also a different level. It's a different level of, of, of work, a different level of commitment, of, of engagement. When you have to, to join other people in a pursuit of an objective, of a goal. Now, if you have ever worked in a, uh, at, at a place where systems were in place, whether it was manufacturing assembly, uh, it could be as simple as working in a restaurant, which I think now with the, the fast food model, you know, bringing in uh, the assembly line type of approach, you understand how important it is to have folks that know how to work with the team. And if a new person comes on board, you know how frustrating it can be to have to wait for that person to get acclimated and actually become valuable to the team, right? Because before that or until that, everything is thrown off. Everything is thrown off. But when I'm thinking about the Beatles, they're working together so intensely. It allowed them to know each other as musicians, as performers, as writers, in ways that the casual band playing one night a week or on the weekends would never get to. Because like Kobe said, they're five years behind or 10 years behind, right? Look at the hours, add it up. So it doesn't matter what they do. They will never catch up. So what's the takeaway? And it didn't take Kobe passing unexpectedly at the age of 41 to remind us that the clock is not on our side. Because we all probably see this in our own lives. Whether it's an immediate family member or the relative of a friend, a neighbor, somebody at work, we see people leaving this life at what we would call unexpected times. So here it is. Here's the takeaway. We all have something or some things that we want to do, something that we want to achieve, something we want to master. The question we have to ask ourselves for those of us that want to fly, are you willing to put in the effort? Are you willing to put in the time? Do you have an attitude for altitude? Or will you be content sitting on the runway? I appreciate you listening. Remember, if you like what you hear, subscribe and share. Follow and like our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at BTG with TIE. Any emails can be sent to my two cents at webridgethegap.org. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen, leaving you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.